0: tech chaps you're home for the latest tech news and reviews this episode was recorded on april 27th 2021 thanks for joining us we're your hosts, justin and ben and on today's episode we talk about the recent apple events and all the new hardware we have a one plus nine pro review what does google flock really mean to you and finally we talk about msps and co-management services All right, let's jump right into it. So it's been a little bit since the last episode, but a whole lot has happened since the last episode. Yeah. The last episode we were talking about OnePlus uh their announcement um happening at the same time as the denounced Apple event that never happened. Mm-hmm. Um and then eventually we got the one here last week.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and then uh what happened? John Prosser shaved off his eyebrows or something like that?
0: Yeah, his eyebrows weren't gone.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, he, he fell through on that. But I guess he has uh, one lead that he can continue to trust moving forward now on these. Yeah, but, no,
0: no, that was funny. No, he he held true to what he said he was going to do. And yeah. uh, it was hilarious. And it was uh, nice to see him actually uh, taking the opportunity to – have donations go to, you know, something that mattered too. So it was nice to see that. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So all kinds of stuff they announced last week.
0: Yeah. So the spring loaded event, um, it was definitely loaded. Mm -hmm. Um, the event was rumored to contain just about all the announcements that we actually got. So I don't think we were really surprised. Um, but, it was still nice to see that many products, you know, in a two hour event that was just, you know, bang, bang, bang. Um, But let's, so let's run over what, uh, what Apple announced. So we can start with AirTag or AirTags. They haven't actually used it in a plural sense yet. So it's probably going to be very Apple-y and just be AirTag, no matter how many of them you have.
2: Yeah.
0: But long rumored and, Finally announced and additional information um, on the Apple specific side of it, uh, as far as the way the software works, uh, was nice to be able to see that. But um, you know, twenty nine dollars each, four pack for ninety nine. I am sure that everybody is just going to be buying the four pack. Uh, makes sense, and I think that's pretty competitive with um, some of the other trackers out there. I'm pretty sure Tile is. Right around $30 for the same sized device.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they're kind of throwing a fit right now and trying to get in this <laughs> whole anti trust topic right. around Apple because Apple made it better. And Tile's been really the main option for everybody.
0: So, yeah. It, and that's, it's funny you say that though, because was it, I think it was within a week of this event. Um, Apple announced that Find My uh, was going to be opened up and available for third parties to register to be able to use their devices inside of them. And uh, Tile put their – they never even raised their hand. Everyone else did. A lot of other users or uh, companies did. But Tile put their hand down, and they're still you know, going after this in, in court for uh, this anti-competitive nature that they're saying that Apple has. But
1: Yeah, I think – anybody could have kind of guessed that Apple eventually would have come out with this and they did and their economies of scale are much better than what Tile can achieve at their level right. so Tiles, you know instead from what I can tell if they keep this up they're just going to throw a fit until the end and get gobbled up by somebody else like Samsung or you know just go away quietly uh, I think if they're going to compete at this point with what Apple's doing is obviously they have an inferior product so if they're going to make it better that's what they need to do and give people reason to choose them over airtag or drop the price and just make it a cheaper alternative for everybody to choose and integrate with apple's new system
0: right yeah so that's the big selling point here is how tightly That Apple has their first party device working with their phone. I mean, it it just it makes sense that if they're gonna come out with something, it's gonna work the absolute best because it's gonna be the best version of it because it comes from the manufacturer of the device. Um, but this is the perfect opportunity for a smaller guy, which tile they're not even a small guy, right? They're they've been the only competition in the the tracking industry by far for what's it been seven years at least i mean it's been a while and nobody else has been there but to tell you the truth like what's changed for tracking uh the size of the devices uh battery life that kind of stuff but nothing else really has and that's where apple comes in like it's tile done better because apple took their privacy focus and they applied it To this AirTag, which makes sense. I mean, it's something portable that has a battery that lasts up to a year and it is able to be tracked by any one of the, what are they at? A billion iPhones now? Probably not all of them because they need iOS 14.5, but still, like, that's a security concern. But Apple addresses that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, their scale not only with how they can make these affordable but the amount of ios devices that are out in the world and also the proportion of ios devices that are in circulation and being actively used that are on the new os version is dramatically higher than yes. any other platform that's out there so it's definitely to their advantage i don't think it's necessarily uh, like anti-competition I think they're just taking advantage of their market position and the amount of people that use their products to make the best product that they can if you're an Apple user. But, you know, if you're an Android user, I still think there's plenty of opportunity there for somebody to make something equal or slightly better.
0: Right. And there's companies that are trying to do that now, like Samsung, uh, their smart tag, right, came out. But mm-hmm. Tile doesn't care about that. Yeah, um, It's more of. You know, Apple is—it's a very large community of like-minded individuals that will buy Apple, 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 Mm -hmm. and I I think that was their push against it. I mean, it's kind of—it's not quite the same on Android side. Like, there there are diehard Samsung fans, um, but it's not the same kind of—if you want to say fanboy—like an Apple fanboy is completely different than a Samsung fanboy, right? Mm tile's not concerned about that because samsung still sells collectively more phones than what apple does i might have to double check that but i'm pretty sure as of last year samsung was still collectively across their entire phone lineup still sells more phones than apple does
1: yeah yeah so i think you know there's samsung could definitely use its market position the amount of people that buy their phones on a regular basis uh to achieve a similar goal um or just you know push harder kind of like a lot of these manufacturers of android phones they just you know push harder for something they want and they have shortfalls because of what android can or cannot do and then it just gets integrated into you know aosp and then everybody kind of jumps on board and the whole bunch of cheaper products that come out because anybody can develop on that same string rather than investing a ton of R and D into something new.
0: Right. So, yeah, I mean, I ordered a four pack of their tags. Um, I I have some tiles now, but it, it just, it makes more sense. I'm going with them because it's Apple's device and I have an Apple phone And I don't necessarily need it to work on a Android device, even though Apple, they don't necessarily ignore that Android devices might interact with them because it still acts as an NFC tag that takes you to a web page that provides the same information for the owner in a contact phone number, if you have that set up for it. So it's not like this is only, you know for apple phones if you have an android phone and you see somebody's bag with an apple tag on it you can still help that person
1: yeah yeah it's just as an android user you just don't have that same level of being able to track your own things like you would with the with the native apple device um so you can help out plenty that that can make you feel better it's just your stuff's not going to be as easy to find
0: Yeah, now it might might hit you in the feels a little bit and and, and remember that time that you lost something and you really wish that you had, you know, something as easy as this to be able to get it back and uh, try to convert, you know, an Android user to an Apple for AirTags. I'm sure there's probably going to be people um, that might make the jump from Android to Apple once they start seeing stories about people... Being able to collect, uh, you know, uh, a family heirloom that was in a, a luggage bag, then when they flew back home and it was lost, and then they were able to reunite it because of the AirTag. There's already these stories with Tile and everything else now, but this is like a whole. This is a reset button on the tracking industry.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely, um, and plus. You know, I think it's going to be one of those things that I see a lot of Android users that switch over to iPhone. They kind of start out small with, like, iPhone SEs because it's got a lot of power. It's affordable. That's kind of their gateway drug into, like, the Apple ecosystem, especially this stuff. If they're able to take full advantage of it, I think that's what brings more of them in deeper. So Apple's kind of master plan, if you will, looks like it's kind of working
0: out piece by piece. Yeah. Well, we're all just long for the ride, so. Yeah. Um, all right. So, well, after AirTag, um, we have the new rumored um, and pictured, depending on where you looked, but the new IMAX. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Apple has brought color back to desktops. Yes,
1: I That's a throwback. Yeah, I th- I really think it's nice. Um, I I dig the look of the new devices. I'm not a huge fan that the power supply is external. Yeah. Um, that's kind of crappy, especially that they don't include it with the uh, the lower end models. Um, I get the kind of color separation there because they've done that before. Um, like a, uh, I'm forgetting the name of it. They had like a gray iMac G3 that was exclusive like that. Yep. Um, but yeah, I I love the look of these. A lot of people don't. That chin is. <laughs> S- still there, but I get it. People put sticky notes and stuff like that on there. But the, like you pointed out before we started the show, I never even realized how drastically different the colors were on the front versus the back.
0: Yeah. So I, the comment that I I chuckled when um, uh, they, they said was that, um, you know, the first thing that they see is the back of your computer when somebody – like this computer – Gone are the days because of COVID and the way that everything else is, but gone are the days of computer lab, right? Where all the computers are set up in the front of the school with a big window and you walk past and you look in and you see the back of all of these, you know, G3s, right? Like that's not the way that it really is anymore. So I'm not sure what kind of office setup um, they're referencing, but I don't like how the main color is facing away. I don't mind the two tone. The two tone's fine. But, like, if you want the red iMac, you, as the user, get a pink iMac. Yeah. And either your wall sees the red iMac, or maybe the people that come to see you see the red iMac. But I would get it because I want to see Mm -hmm. the red iMac, not because I want everybody else to see it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's the whole back of it argument i don't really get especially since it's a single sheet of glass on the front of it that just has a two-tone finish yeah you don't even really and the foot as well this matched to that same color so like if they had like a like a thin bezel that went around like like you know a quarter millimeter trim that went around so you could see that color at least from right the front that would be nice But then that takes away from like their you know the clean aesthetic of the whole thing it's uh yeah it's I really do like the colors, but it's uh it's really more for a thing that you buy, you take it out of the box, you say, Wow, you stick it on the desk and you never think about it again.
0: Yeah, I just we'll we'll have to see uh, what they do for it. I D brand is gonna sell a hell of a lot of skins for it. Yeah. Uh for it. And the white bezel, I could go without the white bezel. Um so it's just twenty four inches, which is fine. Um for uh actually, no, it's twenty seven, right? Uh, It's 24, yeah. 24. All right, so 27 is going to be the iMac Pro. Yeah. Almost guaranteed. Yeah. Um, But, so 24 is still, I mean, it's still a decent desktop size monitor, um, but the white bezel around it is smaller than the other models previously, but it's still a white bezel. Um,
1: Yeah. I think I would have
0: rather seen a black bezel.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I kind of get why they went away from the black bezel, because... For so long, everything that comes out of Apple, and you know, uh, down to Dell and and Acer to an extent with some of their things, um, LG, a lot of their devices uh, have just been gray with black screens,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: that's been the same thing. It's been a sheet of aluminum, a unibody, and then they throw a black screen on there, and it's been the same for so long. And when it first came out, it was really neat looking. It was a, it was a cool design, but I think it's uh it's not necessarily like fallen out of grace but they're looking to change things up since they've used that design for so long so they introduced this white back so you have a little bit more color on it you have something more to notice with this and then you know as i've seen online apple kind of has a history of introducing color and then taking it away and then bringing it back later so if they just do a switch back to you know the uh, silver aluminum dark gray aluminum black display later it's going to be seen as some new thing it's refreshing and nice right. and people are tired of it
0: yep so, need to get it yeah. need to have it and then they just you're right switch right back to all those colors yeah. um but but spec wise um it at entry level which is the equivalent to an entry level macbook air so it's the m1 8 core cpu 7 core gpu um 8 gig of ram and 256 um storage um and then you bump, and then also like you mentioned earlier that's uh limited color sets um in the intro um line for it so you get the uh blue the green the red and the white or silver for it but then when you bump up to the 8 core CPU and the 8 core GPU is when you get the additional colors the orange the what are the other two orange yellow yeah you get that, purple. Uh, the purple yeah yes for so you bump up to those uh and you get the additional um you don't immediately get the additional storage Um, you just get the extra color options and that extra core for your GPU. Um, but once you bump up one more from there, you can double your storage, but you know, starting at 1299, they're going to sell these like crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, I wish it would have been 999 for that eight core CPU, seven core GPU, Mm
3: -hmm.
0: but, um, we'll have to see, um, how it goes. That will probably be the top selling model, the uh, entry level for it. Um. I can't imagine spending two hundred extra dollars for that extra core for the GPU, which a lot of people aren't even gonna—they're not even gonna be using the GPU to its full capabilities. Yeah, um, but I can't see that extra two hundred dollars being um, color as the reason.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I can't really see that either because I, I think, from what I understand, you got to go up to that next level uh from the seven core up to the eight core to
0: be able to select 16 gigs of ram oh yeah so yeah there are differences like that so yeah you do have to jump up to do that and also uh, we didn't talk io but io on the back of the entry eight core uh gpu or cpu and the seven core uh gpu Mm -hmm. is only two thunderbolt usb4 ports um Mm -hmm. and that's it and a three and a half uh, millimeter headphone jack which is on the side because it's so thin you can't actually have it plug into the back which is kind of crazy um but yeah the 8 core CPU and GPU model so the 1499 model has the two thunderbolt USB 4 ports and then it has two USB 3 type C ports these it'll be nice when everything is just type C you don't have to say it um, Yeah. but that has the ethernet in the power adapter on that model.
1: Yeah. Which I get, they're trying to clean that up a bit. Uh, especially like when you have a lot of these things deployed, searching around on the ground, to find ethernet, unplug it right. from that or whatever it may be. It's gotta be, you know, kind of a, kind of a pain, but, um, yeah, yeah the, the only, I wish they would allow you to upgrade that Ram on the lower end model. Um, because like we talked about a while back about our own experience with the, uh, the M one max, um, eight gigs was fine for me for a long time. Uh, like for the first three months that I had it or so, but like in like the last 30 days whatever the last Mac OS update was, it just wasn't, it's like, uh, it, it wasn't compressing what I had open or like, uh, tabs that weren't used Mm -hmm. as often. It was just staying there. Um, and my RAM was getting filled up way more and I felt it hard when it was swapping back to disc. Um, that's at this point now I'm like, okay, I I wish I did get that 16 gig of RAM. Uh, I'm not experiencing like the the crazy SSD wear that a lot of people were. It's, it's higher than I've seen on other Macs in the same time, but it's, it's still not crazy. It's just, uh, I don't know if that's a, a temporary bug or whatever it may be but there actually, there might be some more sense, I guess with the latest update to try to get to that 16 gig of RAM.
0: Yeah, um, I haven't necessarily seen the same exact um, uh, scenario that you're talking about here, but I have in um, processing, um, exporting video uh, and and running through uh, conversions um, for file formats uh, and encoding, I've noticed that it, works really well on the focused, uh, project that I'm working on. But if I bounce into something else, just like web browsing and I have, you know, 15 tabs up and they all decide to wake up, I do notice it then. So, um, absolutely the eight gigs of Ram are, you know, 99% of the time, um, we're fine, but having the option to jump to 16, especially on a desktop, like your laptop, you're going to treat it a little differently than a desktop you know mm-hmm. desktop's probably going to stay on all the time and your, things are going to stay up on it more than what they would on a laptop it's going to get restarted or shut down less than what a laptop does Yep. so 16 gigs is i would i would recommend
1: yeah yeah definitely i think that you know if it's not the minimum right now maybe with the next step that they do and they have you know m1x if they put that in there however they rename m1 or Revision 2, 2022 edition, whatever it is. Yeah, that would no. that, be neat to see. Because the storage, I don't think, is as much of a deal as it used to be anymore, just because little is stored on most people's computers. Most of it's just they're streaming something or they're pulling something from Google Drive or Office 365 or whatever it may be. But uh yeah, I think it's really just people that are power users or editing a lot, doing a lot of photo editing or whatever it may be. It's better, it's faster, at least to have that stuff on your local disk and edit from it unless you invest in something like a high-speed network system.
0: Right. And with, um, uh, these newer machines, uh, Thunderbolt four or even Thunderbolt three, uh, external uh, attached devices are, are they're cheap now mm-hmm. and super fast. So it's just, it makes more sense that if like, if you want to spend money to get a bumped spec, do it in Ram, don't do it in storage. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. The um, but to be honest, though, I mean, unless you really want an all-in-one, or you really need some of these colors, if you're looking for a Mac desktop, I would still recommend right now getting the M1 Mac Mini, Mm -hmm. which starts at six ninety nine for the same. Actually, for the bump spec, it starts at six ninety nine for the same spec that the fourteen ninety nine iMac does. Um, and then you have $800 to buy a monitor um, yeah. and your peripheral. So I, I really think that's right now the better route, unless you really want an all in one. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean,
1: you can still, you know, get that touch ID keyboard and, you know, well, eventually when they release that separately from the IMAX, cause it, you know, like they said, you compare that to anything that's M1, mm-hmm. um, which is nice, but yeah, it's just, I guess really the main drawback in this situation is having it all in one space, but you get yeah. a lot more connectivity out of it um, and matching that display quality. Cause it's, it's difficult to try to get like the, the 22 inch and the 24 inch LG ultra fines uh, for a reasonable price right now.
0: Yeah. So
1: if, if that's what you're targeting, then the iMac would probably be better and easier. But uh, yeah, the, the Mac mini I think is, best for most people that are looking to get
0: the most out of their money all right so speaking of display qualities new ipad pros yeah it's nuts. Um, yeah it is so we'll just talk display first but there's bigger stuff than that but mm-hmm. display before we get into that though this is reminiscence of apple uh three years ago four years ago um, where there is a considerable spec difference between two models of what are basically the same device right like the one plus or not one plus sorry the um iphone 8 and the iphone 8 plus right Mm -hmm. there that was pretty big spec differences between those phones, even though they were in the same line. And then they kind of went away from it for a little bit, and you got very similar specs between their Plus models and the normal models, minus the 12 Pro Max, not Plus anymore, but the 12 Pro Max and the 12 Pro, you know, there's camera difference lenses that take advantage of things that make sense. Um, But in the iPad Pros now, the 12.9 has a completely different display tech than what the uh, smaller model um, iPad Pro does, which is kind of backwards in my mind, but I'm going to appreciate what they're able to do with that because they put put mini LED and a Pro XDR that can sustain like 1,600 nits peak brightness it's crazy
1: yeah it is it's insane what you're getting out of the device like that and uh <laughs> unrelated no i mean if for people that are are content creators or they're going to be you know viewing a lot of you know movies or photos or whatever it may be it's going to be a incredible device for consumption and for creation um it just kind of a little upsetting knowing where most of these iPads lined up like in an enterprise environment mm-hmm. <laughs> and how right. that will never be utilized. Yeah, But it's still it, it's incredible what they're able to achieve with this platform.
0: Yeah. The iPad Pros are I feel like they're purchased more for aesthetics yeah, than they are for actual Guts and, and what they're capable of. But, I mean, this, what they're doing with the iPad Pro, uh, the 12.9 specifically this year, I, I fully expect what happened to the 12.9 this year to happen to the 11 next year. I just think that's where it will end up going. It would just be cheaper for them to put the tech in the smaller model and charge a little bit less for it. But um, aside from the studio monitor quality of what they're going to get out of this and the fact that it's lcd and it's a million to one contrast ratio because of many led is just it's crazy Mm um where apple's kind of you know sticking their tongue out at everyone that is giving them crap for you know not putting an oled um in these uh uh in their uh tablets when you know that's what samsung's doing right right um how they get their punchy blacks and all their colors for it but now here apple comes with uh you know a mini led mm-hmm.
1: yeah and they can accomplish all that without going through all that oled uh the kind of some of the drawbacks with it especially on a large display when you have oled like that mm-hmm. your ghosting and kind of the banding with the grays is way more pronounced Yeah, and it's uh on a phone it's not too bad, and it seems like Apple's dealt that in pretty well. Um, But yeah, on a, I understand why they spent so much time trying to make mini mini LED on something large like that. It just kind of puts the like we talked about. It it was either the last podcast or one of those. It puts the normal eleven inch one in an odd spot because it doesn't have that display tech, and it's still you know at that price point. But I think for most people, if you're going to recommend them something that's going to be about 11 inches, it would be a much better buy just to go with the iPad Air.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it, it would. And that's still a solid device in itself. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, no, the Pro. So, aside from the display tech, which I really have to see it in person, I think, to truly appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and the one thing that... I'm not really clear on right now. Um, and they haven't, I haven't heard anybody say anything otherwise. But if they still allow Sidecar on the 12.9 with a mini LED Pro XDR, imagine that. Well, first of all, it's more expensive than a MacBook Air, but imagine that as a second monitor, right? That That, that is a mobile workstation.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if they have that MacBook Pro with a mini LED and somebody can pick up, you know, one of these larger iPad Pros, stick that next to an in sidecar, it would, I'm sure, be infinitely cheaper than trying to buy a small professional display for right. that use. Because, you know, you go on Adorama or B&H or anything like that, and you just try to find like a 7-inch preview monitor that is, you know, high-grade IPS or OLED for a camera, and it's, you know, eight, ten dollars 10000 at a low end so if they can just pick up an ipad you know somewhat of a a waste of its resources but at the same time you get that incredible display and you won't be able to get that from anywhere else yeah yeah so
0: the display um is one of the big points for it but the other is they put an m1 in the ipad pros yeah, it's everything uh, gets an M1. It's like Oprah, right? Yeah. Just throwing the M1s out there and it's just, it's kind of confusing Yeah, at first. Um, I do appreciate the fact that them putting an M1 in a um, iPad Pro allows actual Thunderbolt mm-hmm. connectivity. So now you can actually have an external display on your iPad and you can use a ton of new devices that are Thunderbolt specific
1: yeah it, which is it's very cool um battery life you know they they said it was still going to be great with the m1 i am curious to see when like they do when i fix it does like it's infamous teardowns and they take a look at um uh i guess when they have that electron microscope or whatever mm-hmm. it is probably saying it wrong if it I I don't know if it's a physical part on it now. Now I'm kind of doubting myself, but I know that they have hardware-based x86 translation on those. I wonder if any of that's included in the M1. If it's the same chip, if it's slightly different. Um, but putting the M1 in this iPad, it just made me say out loud, "Like, is it a computer or not? Like, what are we supposed to call this thing? What are we supposed to do with it? And if it has all this power and it can." it translate x86 why hold those features back or why not let us just like throw mac os 10 on it
0: there's going to be a developer somewhere that uh ends up figuring out a workaround and and their application will really just be an emulator that is using the rosetta 2 in order for x86 to work on an ipad yeah
1: which (laughs) it'd be funny but it would uh It'd be cool too. I mean, if there's a way that they could expose that in like the development tools for applications, yeah. it could make porting some Mac apps to iPad or tweaking them a lot faster by allowing yep. that to be, be translated until they can move it to universal. You,
0: really imagine having the ability or only worrying about porting a Mac OS application to an iPad uh, as far as things on your, your check sheet of things that you need to do in order to get this done. And you got one big checkbox on there and it says, make UI touch friendly. Yeah. And that's it, right? Just imagine that portability from taking a, a full fledged Mac OS application and putting it on an iPad and you only have to worry about, and technically you don't even have to worry about touch because Mac OS or iPad OS supports keyboard and mouse.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be huge. If if they could find a way to expose that, maybe it comes out of WWDC or you know, whatever it may be. Um Yeah, it's 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 very interesting. I I also found it interesting and th- not directly related, but somewhat that I think for the first time they're saying in like the spec sheets online how much RAM you get with different models. Right. Which is Again, it's is it a computer or not? <laughs> because right. people that care about that stuff are using computers because it matters to them. They can see how much is in memory, but uh, can you see that
0: on an iPad Pro,
1: or is that something that's going to be exposed from WWDC?
0: Yeah, I, I it's got to be something. There's there's going to be something bigger coming down the pipe. I I really think this is the this is the prequel to an announcement at WWDC. I think. That I think iOS 15 and iPad OS 15 is going to have a lot to do with the way that this is been announced and marketed. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm interested to see what what comes out of it because I know you know uh, some of the people that are up at the top of Apple, not quite in senior executive or senior leadership positions, that we've seen in keynotes and everything, but you know stuff that's leaked out online there's a lot of people in favor of turning the iPad pro into something that's fully functional like PC is or like a Mac is now. So right. we'll, we'll see if that kind of bleeds through, but it seems like Apple has been listening more to power users lately, even through this transition.
0: Yeah. We'll see with the, uh, the 2021 uh, MacBook pro, if it's got yeah. that full size SD card slot.
1: That, that would be, <laughs> I think that would show the world that Apple can
0: change. Right. Yeah. We'll yeah. yeah. see. Um, yeah, so slight increase in pricing yeah. um, on it, which is completely expected considering um, the fact that it's got a freaking M1 in it. Um, yeah. And the only thing that I've saw seen gripes on right now is the um, crazy expensive $349 keyboard, now available in white, <laughs> Magic Keyboard, um, magic. is... Uh, The 19 and 20 version of it for the 12.9 is not compatible with the new 2021 because the iPad is technically slightly thicker, but like fractions of a millimeter. But apparently the Magic Keyboard doesn't have very high tolerance um, from what... I read, um, the magnet plate on the back of it, um, okay. is not able to adhere as well because of that difference in thickness.
1: So is the new one supposed to be backwards compatible with 19 and 20 pros? Yes.
0: So the okay. new one's backward compatible. So yeah, it's the new twelve nine is too thick, but if you have a too thin, it's okay.
1: Okay. Yeah, so that, okay, I guess I understand that. It's kind of like uh, the, I don't know if it was, I think it was the bumper cases, the iPhone 4 when it came out, because when it was exclusive to AT&T, it was specifically cut out for that mute switch. And then when it came out on CDMA carriers, it had to accommodate, I think it was ever so slightly thicker. Yes. And then the mute switch was moved. Yeah. So, yeah, which was kind of a bummer for people that already had the case, but. I don't know, it's a little different. They weren't really switching carriers. This is more, this is a little bit different. People aren't really upgrading with the case to something new.
0: No, no. I mean, when you, you bought a keyboard, that the keyboard costs more than what their entry-level iPad does. Yeah, which is insane. Uh, for But, but yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll see. So iPad Pro, I, I'll be very interested to see what... Uh, we hear at WWDC Mm -hmm. and, uh, and what people actually start doing once they get these in their hand, Yeah. then, uh, well, to round out the Apple event, um, they had a purple iPhone 12 and 12 mini, um, which is a spring color, but they had purple last year, didn't they?
1: I think I think they call it like a lilac or something like that. And from what I've seen so far with uh, people that have been like seated these units for review, it is it's a deeper, deeper purple mm. than it was before.
0: Yeah, that's it's interesting. Uh, just a new color, but you know this comes right after everybody was screaming that the iPhone 12 Mini is dead. Yeah, uh, which. This does still make you think, though. To play devil's advocate, is that they did this to try to get more people to buy the iPhone 12 Mini? But yeah, it's a completely I mean, that to me that doesn't make sense because most of these iPhone 12 Minis that are already out and you know sitting on the shelf, like people seem to think they're already you know colored anodized aluminum. It's not like they pulled them back in, turned them all purple, and sent them back yeah. out yeah. for them. But yeah, and to that point though um as far as the the iphone um 12 mini not selling well it's got it's it has its place but i think the problem is the iphone se um is a real problem because if somebody wants to buy it if somebody's reason to buy an iphone is because it's cheap they're going to buy a 399 ninety nine dollar se mm-hmm. they're not going to buy a what is 699 or 649 um, iPhone 11 uh, or iPhone 12 mini. Um, I mean, the full that kind of audience doesn't really care that it's a full screen experience or, you know, the screen it's in the same footprint, but the screen's even bigger. Like they're buying a phone cause they want a cheap iPhone.
1: Yeah. 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 I'm, I wonder if they're kind of pushed to this is as new iphones come out the mini just gets pushed down to the se price point and it, yeah. it replaces it but yeah the, the se is just it's a great value and especially for people that like primarily use prepaid carriers or bounce between them mm-hmm. if you stay with a prepaid carrier i think most of them it's like a 12 month period or something like that the se is dirt cheap it's yeah. like 200 bucks or under i've seen them go for a 100 bucks when activating on a new line so it's just they uh they put themselves in a pickle there,
0: right? Yeah. So yeah, not a sponsor, uh, but you can get a hold of us if you want. But <laughs> Mint Mobile yeah. is uh it's like for iPhone SE and their four gig plan or something like that. It's like thirty dollars a month. Yeah, dirt cheap. That's ridiculous. That's less than what some phone payment plans are just for the phone on their their uh, their installment plan.
1: Yeah, they just, they made a super attractive device for that specific market. Yeah. And it's just making it difficult for them to
0: succeed with this mini. It is. It's a good phone too, the SE. I like the SE. Yeah. Um, I've used it as an in-between phone, I call them. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've used it as an in-between phone, in-between releases for other phones, just because it's cheap. They hold the resale value and it's it's the iPhone experience and it's not an experience that you got to put up with, um, you know, just because you have to, because it's, you know, smaller and slower. I mean, it's got the guts of an iPhone 11, but it's the size of the same phone that they were putting out three years ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a solid phone, especially for like, uh, uh, in the enterprise environment, I've Mm -hmm. seen a lot of people switch over to deploying SEs, just cuz it it gives you all the power that you expect it's a newer phone you you know it's going to be supported for quite some time and it still you know provides your employees with what they need i've even seen some companies deploy deploy more phones than they did before simply because of the price point of it so they figured well if we can get two phones for you know the price of one previously might as well continue to roll this out now i think you know most employers still don't really do corporate phone programs um, but in specific cases where you know there's security staff that you know has to you know talk amongst each other or talk back or be easily reached or whatever it may be, uh, yeah, I've seen the see SCP popular in that space.
0: Yeah, I can see that, and they're cheap too. If they need to be replaced, they're cheap. Yep, yeah, right. especially
1: if you got to fix it because that display assembly's been the same for
0: right. Yeah, you can get you, you can you know you can probably buy the whole phone off of Amazon for in pieces for maybe the same price.
2: Yeah. yeah,
0: it's been around. Of-
3: All right. Well, speaking of phones, uh, I have good and bad news on my uh my time with the One Plus Pro Nine. Boy, it's hard to keep the names of those straight. <laughs> so, I pre-ordered the One Plus
0: uh, Nine Pro, and um, got it in. You know ran through the setup put my sim card in it you know uh did uh you know two weeks in my pocket as a daily driver and you know try to get the most i can out of it because i really really wanted to switch over to the one plus nine pro um i like OnePlus. we've talked about this before um I, I like them as a company i like what they do the things lately are a little different than what they were before um, but I needed to see, you know, some more flagship level, not not just the flagship killer slogan that I, that isn't used anymore, to my knowledge, but like to see them compete as well as what these other flagship level uh, phones are. Um, so out of my time with it, the good is the screen is gorgeous. It's a giant 6.7 inch 1440 screen, 120 hertz. Um, It has variable refresh rate uh, drops down and it's noticeable. You can tell when it's ramping up sometimes, Um, but it just, it makes it feel like the phone's speeding up for you. HDR 10 plus, it's got the 20 to nine taller aspect ratio. I mean, it looks like a flagship screen holding it right next to um, a Samsung phone. Uh, You'd be pressed to tell the difference between them which is great and which is what we've wanted um speakers i think on it um to be honest might be the best sounding speakers outside of uh an iphone um as far as a a portable you know mobile phone uh not counting any gaming phones that have you know giant dedicated five watt or whatever um stereo speakers but these speakers um, were loud and they were balanced. It wasn't heavy treble on earpiece and bass on um, the bottom firing speaker for it. Um, the, the phone overall, I mean, it feels like a, uh, a premium device. Um, you know, glass sandwich and it's got the metal edges around it. Nice, smooth, fits in the hand very well. I mean, it, it was a very solid phone. For it, and you could tell that you were holding the premium phone. Um, you know they they touted the Hasselblad partnership with the camera, and the camera's color profiles uh, are great. I mean, it's it's as true to life that I've seen any mobile device get for it. And performance is a, it's a Snapdragon triple eight, so it's right up there with the rest of the flagships. So I mean, everything sounds good. Um, on the device, and you know if I wasn't digging for direct comparisons, I don't think my you know bad list would be as much as what it is, but there are some things though that people should know if that 's what they want to go for that i've experienced, and i've looked for ways around it, but it's just software updates haven't fixed these yet, and you know some of the the issues aside from it just being it 's a phone it 's a good phone. Ball quality is great. Reception is great for it. Um, I, I tested uh, mine uh, on Verizon. Um, you know, no issues there. It works perfectly fine as a normal phone. Um, but the bad side of my experience, um, a lot of it's software, like touch reg- uh, touch registrations on the edge of, like, keyboard, for example. Like, OnePlus touted that they had advanced uh, edge uh, blocking tech. And, uh, you know, because it's a curved screen. That they'd make it, you know, a little more forgiving. But the problem with that is, like, I'd be typing on the keyboard, and you know, you're just sitting there. And if you look up from your phone and you continue typing, just you know, muscle memory for um, your mobile keyboard, like I'd be missing Qs and As, Ls and Ps on the edge of the keyboard. Um, I know I'd be hitting them, but it just wouldn't register it. And I don't know if my finger presses were too close together. Or too quick back and forth that it thought it was an accidental press. But that fix is supposed to be coming. But again, never buy a phone or any device on the promise of a fix in the future. It's how it acts when you buy it. Um, for somebody that types slower, might not be a problem. But software side. Camera. Pull up and you go to take a picture with that new color profile to get that nice, crisp picture on uh, the wide-angle lens. And you take the picture and then you pull the phone down and you open up your picture and right in front of your eyes, the preview changes to what it actually took and not what you thought you took, which is really frustrating. And Ben, I don't know if you've actually seen any specific examples of this, but it reminds me of using a cheap Motorola phone that you're... You're using it, or somebody else is using it. They hand it to you, and they, you know, ask you to take a picture for them. You go to take a picture, you click the button, and you hear it, and then you move the phone, and it takes a picture when you move the phone, and not when you hear the the sound for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that uh, that ruined a set of pictures at a family outing with my razor earlier this year. So I know exactly what you're talking about.
0: It's just it's frustrating. Like, and the worst part of all is the picture that it shows you in the preview when you first take it is like crisp it's not blurry it's like this is the picture you want and then that split second it updates and then it's a blurry smear of what you thought you were taking a picture of it's a picture of the sidewalk when you thought you were taking a picture of uh, a building or a sign in front of you um it's smeared i'll tell you the example for me that just kind of ruined it is i wanted to take a picture of a product code um on the side of a laptop box and I took the picture and then started walking across the room to my desk to be able to punch that information in because I was filling out a, I was filling out a service request and I needed the service tag from this device and I got back to my desk and I sat down and opened up the camera uh, or the photo viewer and it's just a smear of black and white. It's like, that's never happened to me before on a phone that cost over a thousand dollars.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, there there's definitely work they need to do there. I was shocked by that on the razor too. I was like this is a $1400 phone, right? And they can't figure this out.
0: Yeah, um so those things will probably be fixed in updates, but I wouldn't hold your breath on them for how long it'll take. OnePlus is pretty notorious on uh releasing fixes um often, but they fix l- they don't fix a lot of things at one time. It's very few things over the course of many updates for them, but, um, battery life. I also, I wasn't very impressed with that. I, I understand that it's got a, uh, you know, a charger that you can go from zero to 137 minutes and, and it works. It, it's ridiculous. And it something shouldn't charge as fast as what that does. Um, and wirelessly you can charge faster, you know, with your $70, um, wireless charger, but. I didn't have that. I just had my normal wireless charger, but I always felt like I was topping it off um, just because how quickly the battery dropped, which is kind of concerning and it just well tells me that that has to be software too, because look at all the other phones that are out right now with uh, a Snapdragon triple eight and you know, 12 gigs of Ram and 256 gig storage and 6.7 inch screens with 120 hertz, like that match this, you know, cookie cutter of a flagship um, that, have far better battery life so it's got to be optimization
1: yeah which is surprising given that other phones that also have a similar like AOSP style experience yeah. if their experience is that much better and OnePlus looks basically stock yeah, there's, there's something odd going on there
0: yeah so I guess coming out of using the phone for two weeks it's a phone that I could recommend, but it wouldn't be my first suggestion. Um, my first suggestion right now is still the S21 Plus. Um, it, it's still going to be my my suggestion that when somebody's looking for a new phone, I'm going to go for It's just It's a better, stable, all-around, rounded experience. Um, and the OnePlus just kind of can't do it yet because it's not a flagship killer anymore. Um, the one plus end machines that they're putting out right now, um, are, are flagships. That's it. They're not flagship killers. They are flagships. Um, so they kind of have to hold themselves to kind of a little higher of a standard and not kind of get the fanfare behind them as much because that fanfare fanfare is what, uh, was fanning the flames, right. Of one plus being this. You know, they're taking out the big guys and, you know, OnePlus is fighting for the little guys. Now OnePlus is a big guy.
1: Yeah, Uh, I think they've kind of settled into the fact that they have a lot of people that pay attention to them, Uh, a lot of people that like them from what they've done in the past and just kind of capitalizing on that loyalty aspect to sell them something more and more expensive. That's basically just a... To me, they almost seem like like white-label
2: versions of other phones that are out there.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I can see that. And, yeah, I agree with that 100%. Recommended as a phone. I wouldn't tell somebody not to get this phone. But, again, there's better choices unless you're buying it because it's a OnePlus. Um, But all in all, we'll see where the updates come, and uh, maybe we'll look at it again here in a, in a month or two to see where they're at.
3: But moving on from Bones,
0: uh, we can talk Google Flock, um, which is just ridiculous uh, to say. Um, then the long name for it is the Federated Learning of Cohorts, uh, which is even sillier. So <clears throat> this is kind of all over the place right now. And people are trying to figure out what it is, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around things that they haven't actually said it is, but they'll tell you what it isn't, and they'll tell you that it's not a cookie
3: is what they'll tell you
2: yeah, it's a uh, it's
1: it, it seems like like we were saying before the show, way more jargon to overly complicate a way, seemingly. From the limited research I did, I'm I'm walking into a test I studied right before I walked in. But so far, from what I can tell, it looks like this is just a way for Google to have more control over how people are targeted with ads. Meanwhile, pushing out the most common mechanisms that people are targeted right now.
0: Yeah, it's Google's way of defending their stance, their own stance against um Cross site tracking and, and cookies. They're saying that we don't like that. Um, so we're going to prevent it. Uh, but oh, by the way, we also have this other tech that does the same thing, but we control how much of it everyone gets, which is better for our consumers. Yay, what they say. But at the end of the day, they still have all the information that they did begin with. They're just not sharing all of that out across a common tech like a cookie they just get to gatekeep everything
1: yeah and I, it's kind of weird too that because oftentimes when google has some kind of technology that can affect so many people or the way so many people access a certain thing uh it will be kind of like an open standard almost or something that's open source other people build on a build off like chromium for example So many browsers are based off of it because it kind of became like the backbone of how things are, how websites are built and what platform Mm -hmm. they're targeted for. I feel like
2: this maybe could have been better if it was a more
1: open standard that browsers could adopt and then you could target that standard with your ad platform rather than forcing people to go through Google.
3: Right.
0: I think there's more to this that's going to come out for it because I get what they're trying to do, and it makes sense to generalize
3: user information,
0: but still provide that information um, through a means of marketing. So that way, and one of their stats is that um, you know with the flock technology. That um, advertisers can expect the same, uh, well, up to almost the same, uh, about 95% of the click-through dollar for dollar that they were getting with using the traditional method uh, with cookies and uh, cross-site traffic, tracking. So they're trying to sweeten the deal and get people on board, but I just, I don't know. How comfortable everybody should
3: be with taking this just face value when I think Google should put as much emphasis on what they're
0: not going to do with your data than what they are doing with your data. Because they have to collect it first and then they let it out. Like they're the ones that use their, they have some algorithm. Like you said, it's overly complicated. Some algorithm that's going to be doing this, but how well do algorithms work that Google's known for? I, I look at YouTube kids, right? Look at YouTube in
3: general. How good are the algorithms? Um,
0: I think this is just going to make things more confusing and people are going to unknowingly be a part of this and provide Google more information than what they normally
3: would.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I I think
1: they're going to have to dig into this a bit more and explain more about exactly what it's going to do because, you know, Goliath right now thinks it has the upper hand and it'll be fine, but there's a lot of ad companies out there that heavily rely on this and Mm -hmm. they're not gonna take too kindly if Google just says, yeah, well, just trust us. Go through our platform, and you get most of what you want. You don't really have another choice. I I don't think they're going to take too kindly to to that without the information they need or being able to achieve basically everything they do now or find a way around this.
2: Um, yeah, there there's a lot more to be explained here.
3: Yeah, it's it's just it's concerning, and I I really
0: think part of the problem is. It's Google and it's a Google tech and they're the, they're the champions behind it. And there's a lot of people that are confused um, and everyone has a the right to know more information than what's been provided in just a general white page of these are the algorithms and this is what the algebra looks like.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you
1: know, part, part of something I've been following not to, you know, get too much into politics with all this something i've been following is kind of more legislation that's being proposed that kind of has like a a white paper almost uh kind of like when you go to buy a car and they say this is how we use your data this is what we do with it this may be given to x y and z and you sign off on it uh at least that's how it is where i'm at more of that coming out for companies that do use your data so they clearly say in a standard format this is what we are doing with it. This is what we're not doing with it. This is mm-hmm. exactly what how we benefit from this data. And this right. is how we don't benefit from this data. And this is how you benefit from understanding this. So I, I, I think that would probably help as well. But Google being Google, you dig through a whole bunch of documentation, and you still don't really understand it. And then later they're like, oh, yeah, well, it, it basically does this
0: we'll need to spend more time with research papers and looking at stuff myself in order to be more comfortable with just not the tech, but understanding more comfortable, understanding why they're doing this and how they're doing it. Cause there's other browsers that aren't going to be on board for this. So there's, um, you know, it's, this is going to be, it's Chrome based, it's Chromium based. So like uh, Microsoft's edge Chromium, um, They're not going to go for this. I can almost guarantee that this is going to be a flag that's disabled from their release client. Um, so with Chrome losing some market share, um, and web browsers, I think that they're probably going to have to revisit this. soon.
2: yeah. Yeah. Something, you
1: know, on that market share part, I'm surprised by how many people I see using the new edge, like people that are all in on Google. People working in an enterprise environment where it's heavily G Suite and all that—the amount of people I work with and you know walk past and all that—that that I see using the new Edge is surprising. So it's a, uh, yeah, I think if Microsoft puts their foot down on this, especially since they've been working closely with Google to kind of, you know, on this Chromium project, submitting things back upstream that are then eventually integrated into Chrome, um, maybe that'll have an effect on this as well.
0: Yeah, no, it definitely could. It's just. It'll take time, but yeah, I think we'll definitely revisit this next week because um, I I want to put some time uh, into gathering some some more structured thoughts on this
3: because it's concerning. Yep.
0: Well, we move on to our last topic. Um, so to save the best for last. So MSPs as a co-manager. Um, so that's that's a term that was. Uh, brought to me because somebody had a question on what it meant and I had to take a second myself to think um, what it actually means and how I can talk to somebody that isn't familiar with an MSP um, about what an MSP is and in a way that they should care about it Um, you know essentially I wanted to take some time here to talk about what the general public what their perception of an MSP should actually be. Um, and, and maybe better ways to figure out how to, how to address that. Um, it's, it's just, not a common term, right? So in normal daily routine, uh, MSPs are normally not brought up, um, at the average in the average industry, right? Um, it's just all behind the scenes stuff, but at the same time, knowing what an MSP is and knowing what an MSP is capable of for you. Um, can mean something and it can bring value to um, what you're doing. And uh, I, I wanted to, said so you and I talk about this and kind of go over some misconceptions and uh, from our experience, uh, some better ways to maybe maybe handle these conversations.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just simply explaining what an MSP is to people is kind of like the one one of the big hurdles I have to get over. When introducing what I do to somebody, or you know what my company does, or they, from word of mouth, they heard, you know, we heard you're good with computers. What do you do with that? And it's it's kind of getting them into the mindset of an MSP is pretty much exactly what it says managed service provider. But it's it's more than that. It's more than just somebody that fixes your computers. It's a partner that you can rely on to help you keep your technology running the way it's supposed to. And then, you know, if you're highly dependent on technology, like most companies, be able to use that to your benefit to become more efficient in what you're doing, to make sure that technology kind of moves more out of the way because an MSP can handle that for you. So you can just use those tools and resources to achieve what you need to do and have somebody guide you along that journey over time. Um, in addition to, you know, tech support, that's part of anything. You go to a doctor for advice. You also go to them when you're sick. So it's. It's kind of a similar thing, um, I think with MSPs, uh, plus just the name of it in general is kind of vague because in the MSP space, obviously we know what that is, but for a general person managed service provider, there's a lot of services there's a lot of services that are managed a utility company could be that mm-hmm. um, it's a uh, the terminology is, is one hurdle
3: yeah it's it can be overwhelming um,
0: when You start to explain, um, the kind of help that you can get in to your company and what they can do. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of like the MSPs as a co-manager, like in the past year, tech has exploded and a lot of companies weren't prepared for it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of companies that did struggle their way through it, um, have, and maybe I've done it well, um and to you know, best practice as 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 good as they can. but they might still be doing it with a a team that's overutilized. you know, a team that's that's actually they're they're doing everything they can, and they're high performing, but they're underperforming because they have too much on their plates. Mm. and they can't take care of other things that right now, with the horse blinders on aren't a problem, but they become a problem. Once you neglect them, not knowingly for so long. And like, that's kind of where like the co manager aspect of, you know, bringing in an MSP for, um, you know, high level tasks to have somebody there that you can reference, um, if you have, uh, questions or you're working on a project, you have somebody else that's equally as responsible, um, and somebody that's accountable. Um, for getting things done without bringing in additional personnel, which is tough to do right now. Um, lots of places are hiring, but a lot of tech oriented jobs, um, really have kind of been filled or, um, or haven't even been posted, um, uh, really because these teams have been able to get things done that the company didn't expect them to do when everybody had to go home.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think another thing uh, about this kind of co managed setup uh, that is a big benefit to companies is, you know, as a company, you know, you sell pancakes in bulk, whatever you do. Your main goal is how can I make operations more efficient so I can sell more of my product or service or whatever it is um, to people. And you want to try to keep that expenditure low, but, you know, keep it efficient. Um, that can prevent you sometimes from hiring on additional staff that you need, especially if you don't have somebody that's experienced in hiring those technical people. Mm-hmm. Um, or if it's for a temporary transition or whatever it may be, it's it's not necessarily something they may see value in immediately. Whereas when you're partnering with an MSP, most of the time, if you know they're in a selfish MS, MSP, they have a a much larger pool of technical resources, either internally amongst a team or external teams uh, that they can call on to help you get whatever you're doing done faster or get you over that hurdle or help your team become more efficient. So as you know, the internal IT team is, you know, working through the day to day or they have some big projects to work on or whatever it is, like you said, instead of these things, you know, backing up in the background, then it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and then you're, you know, used to working on your daily stuff, but now you got the snowball that inevitably hits you. You're overwhelmed. You can't get things done. Service levels go down. And what was the priority for you to focus on now? Now it becomes, you know, mixed in with the rest of the things you kept pushing behind. Whereas an MSP can either take the heavy stuff off your plate, deal with that with you. That goes on in the background, you know, keep in touch with them. Or they can take over the day to day. So that way you can focus on how can I continue to take the technology in my organization and make it work better for the employees. Meanwhile, I have an MSP that's doing the day-to-day, doing troubleshooting, doing support with them, getting people onboarded, getting people offboarded. you know, that, that resource, that first point of contact for them. And then we can work with them to make these larger things happen. Or like I said, vice versa. It, it can be extremely useful.
3: Yeah, it's, if you're,
0: You're able to scale in ways that traditionally were impossible, right? Mm -hmm. You're able to pull in a team of highly skilled and dedicated individuals that do this stuff all the time. And you can say, we need this done, this done, and this done before this date. This is what I need you to help me with and then you have your team. Um, it's it just saves so much time and headache from trying to take on a task yourself or in a department that isn't necessarily skilled with cloud base, right? They don't, they have ba- very little experience in Azure, say, right? And their goal for the end of the year is to put everything up in Azure. So by the time you get your team trained, and then you start implementing, and then you start pulling in additional resources from the free support from Microsoft for the little questions that you run into, or, you know, you run into an issue and you realize that you had to backtrack and you had to implement it a different way because it didn't work the way that it needed to. And now you have to do a hybrid environment, like all of these things that you run into yourself are preventable just by having a co-managed project with an MSP by being able to say, you know, I'm comfortable with this and let me run with this. And if I run into an issue, I'll reach out to you or I'm not comfortable doing this. Can you walk through this with me? Like just, it, it's a resource that is, it's invaluable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the the relationship with an MSP, uh, if you're choosing one that's local, which is, you know, commonplace. Um, it also helps, especially when you're dealing with something that might be difficult, where your staff that you have now, it's handling the load. It's fine. Um, you can manage most of your systems just fine, troubleshoot all that. But when something hits the fan, you know, calling Dell, you're, you know, it, for example, if something goes wrong with edge, or you have managed support contract on like Windows Server, that's commonly bundled with this stuff for some organizations. You know, you're trying to reach out to somebody else. They don't quite know your platform or your system or how it was built. They didn't, they may not have helped you through that process. And even if they did, they're dealing with hundreds of other people that are going through that as well. So it's kind of hard to put that focus on that client. Whereas when you have a local partner, you know, they may have had a impact in setting up whatever that platform is or advised you on what would be best or, you know, what, here's what works. Here's what doesn't. And then you have somebody to, you know, grab a hold of and say, "Help me through this. I can't handle this." Or you know, we're we're good ninety nine percent of the time, but tonight this went down and I'm at a loss, and it needs to be back up tomorrow. Yeah. That's a it's very helpful.
3: Yeah, and I I think with that in mind,
0: treating an MSP like I said as a resource, not competition, mm-hmm. um, is like the biggest thing I know internally. Um, some tech teams are completely opposed to the idea because it feels like you're almost being replaced. Like that's the consensus, right? But it's, it's not that it's, it's taking something that your team might not be a hundred percent familiar and comfortable with and moving the responsibility to another resource that
3: is going to be
0: held responsible for making sure that it's done the right way and the exact way that it needs to be done. Um, and if something happens, you have liability in place for SLAs. And if something goes down, this is what happens. I mean, everything is put in place for you and it's more of a, like I said, it's, it's a resource. It's you need a temporary boost in, uh, performance on, you know, one of your, videographers, machines. So you, you know, increase the amount of, uh, Ram and the, the GPU that they're using, but they don't need it full time. They just need it temporarily. So you temporarily increase what they're capable of by introducing something that they wouldn't normally have. And then when they're done, it's pulled back
3: and then it's gone. Like.
1: Yeah, it uh it I don't think it's something to be afraid of. Um, you know, I can use my own experience as a testament to that. Uh we uh when I was, you know, working in the corporate setting, we were in a situation where I was becoming overwhelmed with all the tasks that I had to do. I was, you know, managing a department, I was the sole sysadmin, admin, I was the sole network admin, you know, 750, you know, employees to deal with, you know, close to 2000 endpoints in total. There's a lot to handle, a lot of, you know, mundane day-to-day tasks that were mixed in with everything that was all kind of stacking up on my plate. And we weren't approved to add additional staff. Um, So I'm racking my brain trying to figure out how to go about this. And I'm reading about people talking about MSPs and how they brought them in. My first impression was, well, you know, this is going to be an easy in for someone else to take away so much of what takes up my day which could make my job less valuable. But I thought about it some more, and that's not the case at all. What they're doing is taking away all these little bits and pieces that take up my day that's stopping me from achieving these other things or focusing on these larger things. I feel like i got a shoehorn in at the end of the day Managing staff, addressing concerns, talking with other management teams, putting together reports, coming up with a plan for growth in the future, how we're going to address XYZ project or some deadline on the horizon. So instead of worrying about, you know, they're going to take this huge portion of what I do on a day-to-day basis and, and diminish my value, I can let them handle that stuff. And then I can work on getting to everything that I need to get to that I always push behind and then building up on those skills. So I can turn myself into a more valuable asset for my company. Meanwhile, we have a cost-effective way to handle these day-to-day tasks. And there's the benefit of you don't have to, you know, uh, the training time isn't necessarily as intense as it is with an employee. Because you have an entire provider full of people that their purpose isn't to sell a car or, you know, provide accounting services to somebody or whatever it may be. What they do all day is technology and support that for people. And you know, most companies have a pretty similar stack of things that they're touching and working with. Um, it, uh, it's nice to be able to you know, go towards that, have a cost-effective way for them to get in there, handle all those things, pick on other people inside the organization to make these things happen. And if it isn't working out for whatever the reason, this MSP is not the one for you. You know, you're not going through some lawsuit, you know, with unemployment or, you know, you have to explain this and that. And the other thing with HR, you can have a discussion as business to business saying, here are where the shortcomings are. How can we address this? Or if it's not going to work out at all, there's a lot of other providers you can choose out there.
0: Yeah, I I really think at the end of the day, it's
3: look at an MSP or
0: uh, look for a co-managed environment as a resource that is able to let you be a better employee you be a better department you be more efficient because you're able to use uh, skills of people that are very knowledgeable in what they do and there's a reason why they're not working in a department Um, and and doing one thing specifically all the time they're broadening their their skills or they're allowing other people to to put their abilities to test
2: yeah absolutely a well-run msp is
1: going to have people that are in that position for a reason because that's where they thrive that's where they find interest that's what they have a passion in or whatever that is um and having that talent You know, those feelings behind the employees and the collective goal, having that brought into your environment can really upgrade your overall outlook and your, you know, even executives looking at IT as a whole, it can really improve that situation a lot and be very valuable in
2: the
3: long term. Yeah. Agreed. I
0: think that about does it for this episode. We will be back next week, right around the same time. And until then, I'm Justin. And I'm Ben. Thanks for joining. Thanks.